Hello again. This is Austin Wintry here to once again sit in for Ted slash Robin. And I am interviewing this time at GDC, Jason Graves, a composer I've been friends with a very long time, whose work is consistently amazing and terrifying. We talk about certainly his most famous score like Dead Space, uh, Tomb Raider, The Order 1886, and innumerable others. Uh, there's also sarcasm aplenty and no sign of actual personal charisma between he and I. So I hope you uh, enjoy it. And this is not the end of you listening to this podcast now. Welcome to The Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Jason. Austin. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Are How you, are you? I'm excellent. Are you enjoying the intimacy of the Intercontinental Hotel Room here at GDC? Best interview room I've been in all day. Yeah, oh, good. Good. Well, we'll see if we can hold that bar steady. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I want to just hear, I want to hear stories from, from the, uh, the front lines of, of, of being graves. But since you're here at GDC talking about Moss, which is the least Gravesian uh, endeavor by reputation. Yes, it is. Um, that seems like a fun jumping off point before we inevitably just listen to or talk about aleatory and uh, <laughs> musical violence. So yes, tell us about innocent uh, farm animals. Oh man, that game so amazing. And this, this little, you know, this little mouse in VR that you see as scale like a little mouse and you are like full-sized. And um, you know, the funniest thing taking on where you just mentioned the least Gravesian mm-hmm. is the audio director, Stephen Hody, um, contacted my agent looking for a composer. And I was one of the ones that Cheryl suggested. And I, I don't know the exact details of the conversation, but when she mentioned my name, Stephen immediately said, oh, it's not that kind of a game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's minimal amounts of necromorph uh, No skeletons, violence you know, and, no yeah. face melting or, you know. Yeah. Well, I hear that they're going to, you know, they're adding that in to accommodate you because otherwise it's yeah, just not an authentic. Yeah, that's the DLC. Yeah, yeah it's going like to be the like, zombie mode of yes, Call of Duty kind of thing. Exactly. So it was... How'd you get... So that gets... I mean, we're kind of... I, I realize I, I should have I should have prompted you to, to give a little bit of just broad background on yourself. So we'll circle back and do this all kind of asynchronously because for those people who are listening who, who don't know your work, they don't, they don't realize that... It's actually there's it's actually a backhanded compliment that they would say it's not that kind of score right, because right. your reputation is so immensely solid for those kinds of games. Like it's it's not built on some cliche stereotype. It's built on this body of work that's pretty amazing. I and, appreciate that. Um, <laughs> the fawning will stop at some point. Don't worry, we'll be busting <laughs> your balls shortly. But um, uh, but yeah. So so um, um, I think. Well, tell, tell, tell me more about Moss, and then I want to just kind of back up and hear, you know, the Jason Graves story tonight on VH1. Oh, that behind the music. Yes, behind the, behind the shrieking. <laughs> behind the muffled screams. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the Moss thing, I got the, like, the pitch packet 
and it had. I'm a big animal person, so we'll just go ahead and. Yeah, say I suppose that people right should now. realize that you you basically run a halfway house for it, yeah. most species on yeah. record. Yeah, real. I mean, lots and lots and lots of animals. There's going to be a big game audio scandal when it turns out you're one of those illegal. Like dealer animal, animal like pet people that have orders. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like you're running. A, you're running the exotic animal version of a puppy mill. Yeah, I mean anything. You really like shouldn't from, be breeding pandas. I know, but you know they're so cute. I well, I know, but they grow up. Uh, yes. Yeah, so you have you have uh, you have like a farm. Yeah, I mean like 80, 90 something different animals, but no big no cows or any goats are the biggest that we get. But lots of chickens and ducks and and parrots and tortoises and. Uh, rabbits and bearded dragons and pythons and like hissing cockroaches, you know, chinchillas, dogs and cats. Normal pet store fare. Just yeah. it's just literally everything in the pet store. More or less. Like I walked full in, catalog. I walked into a pet store that was a big chain and it had all these um, like you know black and white like silhouette icons of different animals. And I actually took a picture of it and posted it on Twitter and said, "Is it good or bad if you own all of the animals yeah. on the welcome to this pet store?" <laughs> I'll have one of each, please. Yeah, I and mean, like more than one of each. So being a huge animal fan and really um, kind of first starting out loving uh, like Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams and the more melodic sort of lyrical stuff. Yeah, Secret of Nim <clears throat> kind of territory. Oh my gosh. What a great analogy. Yeah, you know, I never even thought about Secret of Nim for this because she is a little mouse. Or um, uh, Tale of Despero. Someone right. pointed that out to That's me. Bill Ross, I Like think. a week ago, yeah, um, which was another great score. But I got the pitch packet and on the first page was like a mouse riding a squirrel like with a little horse harness holding a mm -hmm. sword and it was just one of those you know what do i need to do to get this gig yeah exactly this um, is basically an autobiographical yes, image yes and it was very much about having an emotional connection between the player and this mouse protagonist in the game um so i wrote like a eight or ten minute kind of suite with different sections that kind of told the story and didn't really do a lot of explaining with text. I just wanted the music to sort of lead the way. And um, they ended up picking me for the composer job, which was amazing. And I got to go to Seattle. You were gunning for voice actor. but uh... <laughs> Especially today. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm in my, my serious sexy GDC voice. Yeah, oh yeah, me too. I sound completely different than in the other interview that I recorded. <laughs> it's like a different person from one 24-hour GDC period is enough to mutate me it, into it a zombie. It all goes downhill from Wednesday on. Oh yeah. <clears throat> but the team, it's like 12 or 14 people, mostly from um, um, Halo, the Halo Studios. And they literally kind of abdicated, not because they didn't love their jobs, but because they were ready to work on something a little less violent, a little less shoot 'em up, and, and a little more about emotions and yeah, totally connecting, you know, with the players' positive emotions as opposed to all those sort of negative kinds of emotions. It reminds me of uh, a few years ago, John Powell kind of stopped scoring films. Mm -hmm. uh, he went on this sort of sabbatical because he. He was so busy doing all the, you know, Born Identity films and all the, a lot of DreamWorks films and things like that. And, and, um, and then he realized I have a teenage kid who I don't ever right. spend time with and he didn't want to, he didn't want to have no relationship with his son. And so he, he told, he told his agent, you know, I only want to do animation and I only want to do one movie a year. Wow. And it was why animation? And he goes, cause it's the only place I get to write joy in earnest and it's not cheesy. Yeah, I get to do a How to Train Your Dragon or whatever, and and just be ecstatically happy 
-hmm. and it doesn't feel like I'm being ironic or whatever. Right. It, you just, it is. And, and yeah, it's the same in games. That's actually really rare. It is. And literally Tam, the owner of the company told me flat out, he just said, we just wanted to make a game we could play with our kids. Yeah. A and not in a like, good job killing those aliens, son, you know, in a... <laughs> Emotional connection sort of way. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, you're obviously you being a father, uh, you have a really close relationship with your kids. I've yes. seen it. I've seen it firsthand. So I can see. <laughs> you have. <laughs> yes. I've seen it in the form of uh, resentment over your kids' appreciation of Journey and Abzu. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, that, you know, I did music too, girls. That's nice. Do you know Austin's back there playing right now? I'll see you later. <laughs> well, it's your fault for them not being allowed to play your games. I know. Right? Uh, well, they can, they've been playing them now, though. That's true. My oldest is 17, so they're actually getting to play some of those games. Finally appreciating, like, what helped finance the, right. the animal farm the all animal around farm, us. The animal farm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, that's fun. 17? That's yeah. insanity. I know. Um, well, so yes, Jason Graves, the family man, uh, getting to express uh, earnest emotion. That must have been... Have you ever had a game no. in that... It's not even just rare, but it's literally a, a category of one so far. Yeah. I mean, I, I even did combat music that is in a major key. <laughs> you you avant-garde maniac. I, I know, right? <clears throat> and, it's just, and it's just a major, like just a G major triad. Maybe, maybe there's a major seven in there every now and then, but just... Nice open triads and, you know, it's all about like building confidence and like empowering the player to move forward and, you know, hope and searching for someone that you love and kind of reforming that bond and basically the antithesis of all the stuff that I'm known for, like Dead Space or Far Cry Primal or Tomb Raider or, yeah. you know, all these games where the music Death is supposed to make you feel like you're going to die and yeah. be concerned for your life the entire time. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been really nice um, to see it also get this reception because VR games are so kind of intrinsically niche still. Right. Um, but it it brought me because Sony published the game if I mm -hmm. if I remember because I uh, I remember the the score. I of course anything you do is going to be on my radar just by virtue <laughs> of it being you, but. Um, uh, but I remember it was it was getting it was getting noticed, and then a, a particularly happy thing was when the uh, Royal Philharmonic this past, uh, about a year ago May mm -hmm. did a concert of you know music from the lineage of Sony games right. PlayStation One through through you know God of War basically, and um, and Moss ended up on the concert, um, and I'll never forget um, Jessica Curry was kind of the host. And she came out and she said, now this next score is going to charm the pants off of you. <laughs> I uh, love Jess so much. And uh, yeah, she's, she's uh, <laughs> terrific. And, and it was true. It was, and, and what a change of pace mm -hmm. uh, on that concert, uh, you know, because literally it was like God of War and, and uh, you know, just one endless sort of barrage of, of mayhem after another. Um, so yeah, it's been really nice. Hopefully... Hopefully this uh, you you can you can be giving Gareth a, a run for his money in the emotional action music uh, category. Um, so why don't you back up then and 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 give us a sense of of um, actually wait no I have one other question because you uh, uh, you worked with one of my absolute favorite human beings on that which is Maluka uh, and tell tell. I, in fact, was that did I did I facilitate that or oh no no it was Far Cry yes. that you guys. <clears throat> Uh, first, yeah, where she was screaming and I was, and um, oh my gosh, that was so. I just told the story yesterday because it's such a great story. Um, 
So there were three kind of tribes in Far Cry, and one of them was supposed to be sort of mystical and, and magical in their religion. And I was basically for like a year and a half, ever since I'd heard Maluka on your scores, been dying to find a reason to get her in. And I was yeah. like, this is it. This is She's, perfect. She is a magical. You know, I, I love her vocals and I can get her in that lower, like really cool timbre and do some neat stuff with some harmonies. And we did, and it was great. And about a week later, they came back and they said, okay, so change of direction. That tribe's now basically um, cannibals that will kill you <laughs> and like eat your heart while you're still alive. <laughs> so we just need it to be, you know, like really scary. You can do that, right? Ha ha ha. And I was like, oh man, like what happened to cool and mystical? <laughs> so I had a Skype call with Maluka and said, look, this has gone in a completely different direction, but I still really want to work with you. But, um, I don't know, you know, if you'd feel comfortable because what I'd really love is for you to just scream a lot of crazy stuff <laughs> and like, like, like kind of Native American war cry sort of things. And I can give you some of the language of this tribe, but I want to get your stuff first, maybe just based on one little track that I send. I'm going to write the music around that and like kind mm. of use it as a feature, even though it's like, ah, 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 <laughs> you know, these crazy sounds. And she, We're gonna need multiple takes okay. of that uh, demonstration. Yeah. Well, she could really, you know, she's got a like a really beautiful dark tone, but she can really get. Yeah, I didn't know she had that in her. I, uh, I don't think she knew she had it in her. Yeah, it was, um, really effective, though. I mean, it, it it really like totally pushed me to make the music sort of match that like emotional high note that she was hitting, like literally and figuratively. Um, and she, we, we laughed about it all the time. And she even recorded herself doing it a couple of times. Yeah, I saw a little snippet. That's how I realized it was her and what was going on. Yeah. It's because like on Twitter, this video of her screaming her guts out. And what's funny is I don't, you know, people don't realize she's the sweetest, most mm -hmm. gentle. And, and she did some Twitch streaming of playing that game. Right. And she's like running up to kill like a, a, um, um, like a mastodon or whatever. The big sort of prehistoric mm -hmm. elephants. And she's like, I don't want to hurt it. I don't want to hurt it. I don't. And she's like crying practically as she has to hunt. And uh, and then that same, apparently with just a little nudging from yeah. Mr. Graves, turns into a cannibal pretty convincingly. Um, it was a good. It was a good gig, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do with her. Uh, then I did something with um, Ready at Dawn uh, when we were sort of checkerboarding games with them. You were working on, on Deformers. Deformers, and I was working on Lone Echo. Mm. And oh, she sings on Lone Echo. She does. I didn't. I didn't even realize that. And that that game is a lone female astronaut, like surrounded by all this technology. So I pretty much used her as the vocal and the melody, and then everything else was synths. And with her permission, I took her vocal and used it a lot more than just the main melody that she sang. So I was sort of digitally manipulating mm. her vocal. You know, the way the character in the game was sort of being digitally uh, either oppressed or supported by all of the technology around her. And that was super cool, but it was a very short, it was like tw maybe 25 minutes of music. So with Moss... Still, it's like one of the most acclaimed VR titles yet made. I know, the uh, Echo Arena has really yeah. gone a long way with the esports thing, which is... It's pretty insane. very cool. Um, with Moss, I don't, I don't know why, I think... I sort of had had those two chances with her, but I still hadn't really been able to go back to that kind of mystical, magical thing. The definitive thing. Maluka. Yeah, exactly. And I left Seattle and just had this suite that I wrote kind of as the demo. But before I started in the game, for some reason, I just really felt like I needed to write a song with Maluka, but only if she could do it. 
and we talked a little bit and found the right key and I had the melody already and came up with some lyrics and gave her like a rough sketch and of course she did an amazing job and then built up the song after that played all the instruments and got it all mixed and then she did the final version and that was the first thing that was written for Moss. Oh, really? Yeah. So all of those melodies... It must have set the tone it, incredibly it set, it, for it the team. It set everything. I mean, it had an electric bass and drum set in it because it was a little more poppy. But other than that, it was all the same instrumentation that the rest of the score used. I love the idea of if you played the game, and I didn't know if they'd want to do this or not. I didn't know if they wanted the song at all. And I said, this doesn't even count in my minutes budget. I just need to get this out. Yeah, you know, yeah. I need to work with her and work through this. Um it would be great to play through the game and then at the end credits have this song play like like a like a film except instead of a tagged on licensed track right, yeah. that no one cares about it actually has depth and meaning and it tells the story of the game i mean that's the way that, that that's the classic tradition of i mean like the probably the most successful of all time would be my heart will go on from titanic and right it's melodies you just heard that melody for yep. 2 hours yep. uh so it's no wonder people grab onto it um that's that's awesome. I I absolutely love. Uh, I, I remember hearing it and thinking, you know, that's not very Gravesian. Uh, <laughs> and it's a great it's a great. You mentioned something that I wanted to bring up also. It's a good it's a good um, sort of pivot because so much of my conversation with Gary was about, um, you know, where we record the kinds of instrumentation that we record in, and and uh, you know, we were talking about the the different size groups in Bioshock right. and the different iterations that went through. Um, and in interesting contrast to that, you play quite a lot of the material that's in your scores yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so you want to, like on Moss, you said you, you played a lot. I know there were also like intimate, like didn't Kristen, uh, Nagus play on that as well? All the woodwinds. Yeah. Which yep. is amazing. She's the Swiss army knife, yes. uh, gift to composers, yep. plays all the things. And Jeff Ball played um, violin. Oh, right. Yeah. Another yeah. Im immensely. And so these are all people recording in home studios exactly. and you're stitching it together at your place. Mm -hmm. A lot of people probably don't realize that that's actually a pretty normal workflow these days for us. You know, we pluck specific musicians that we like for the, you know, she's in Florida. Jeff is, I think he's in LA. In LA yeah. He didn't used to be. Um, he moved from Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Maluka's in Mexico. Right. Um, so you want to walk us through that your process there? Cause you, you play quite a few things. You're a, you know, Sort Obviously of a, a drummer, know, percussionist, jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's the nice thing about being a composer is you can go bar by bar it by is. bar if it you is. have to. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's lots of. I played in bands in high school and college, so I played you know bass guitar or keyboards or guitar or drums. So that's kind of my. So basically, you wheelhouse. no one joined you in the band is what yeah. you're saying. You're like I I put postings, <laughs> no one showed up. Apparently, Graves wasn't goth enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, the, why is he trying to do all this happy music? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's even even on big orchestral scores where you're recorded in London or Nashville or whatever. I feel like there's invariably lots of you playing and tracking and I especially I've, I've actually never recorded um live drums uh with other people I just do it all yeah uh, myself um is that is that coming from a control freak place or is it just the joy of music making or some combo or um yeah I really like doing it it's so much fun playing and a lot of times it, it just makes more sense because I have over the last 10 years, you know, bought so many microphones and so many instruments and things like that. If I need a certain kind of sound, um, percussion especially is such a wild and varied wilderness of sounds 
So you would sit there and spend 10 minutes like, no, not that one. Well, how many different shakers do you have? And I, I'll just grab all my shakers and in two seconds find one I need and, and play the part. And it just, uh, it's all for, you know, the more small, intimate things. Um, no, but I mean, as, as I recall, even on like the order, you were tracking, I mean, it's like all recorded, you know, at Abbey Road and yet there's layers of you playing yeah. all the, all the percussion. So it, it was never a function of the intimacy of the project. Like, it's not like a budget thing of, you know, ah, oh, we can, we can hire 90 musicians, but right. 91 yeah, is too a cutoff. Much. Sorry. Um, so I like, definitely, okay, I got this. I definitely, I definitely love, love playing. Especially, you know, being able to like pick up a guitar or a bass or a ukulele or an accordion or something that, you know, I don't get to play ukulele every day. But on Moss, I did. And <laughs> it's just, you know, you write... How did you resist the, the very Jason temptation to start tuning it weirdly and, <laughs> and doing kind of weird experiments with it? Yeah, like the, the detuned uh, experimental, you know, prepared acoustic guitar or something Yeah, like exactly. I've done, I've done plenty of that. It was just really nice to be able to like just play a major chord on a ukulele and have it, you know, not have to worry about it hiding or it's going to be too happy or yeah. anything like that. So I really embrace that. And a lot of the songs I wrote on either guitar or ukulele first. I guess I just, it's, I guess it's dawning on me that you did have one small indie title that you did a local homegrown production. That was the closest thing to any of this, uh, is this the first time you've ever been asked about? I'm forgetting what it's called. Fat chicken. Fat chicken. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is this the uh, the first interview you're doing about? We're going to only talk about that game from yeah, here on out. Uh, I want. I want. I want a Q by Q analysis, like Song Exploder. <laughs> um, uh, but that. But no, that had a very earnest. I mean, it's like silly, but it had an yeah. earnestly happy yeah. vibe. It was. Um, so yeah, it was. There were some songs in a major key there. Um, but that was about factory farming. Um, so that's the underbelly of yeah of, exactly of nastiness so there was always like that. you know some weird meter changes or like kind of funky chord progressions it was always intentionally sort of like slanted and a little off kilter i see i see um but yeah that that was fun um they had a real small budget i did the whole thing in a week and um just had fun like writing fun quirky music mm -hmm. and you know it was all live um a bunch of well, things. you're that's another another thing worth pointing out is because you're tracking so much stuff yourself. Uh, one of the little cheats that we realized, I think, collectively as a community at some point is that you can you can hide a bunch of samples behind even just one live guitar, one live mm -hmm. violin, because the ear can't ignore the the human thing in yep. the mix. Yep. So you can have what would be an eighty piece orchestra playing complete, you know, completely through samples. And then one, this was my big sort of concession. I mean, Journey ended up being all live, but mm -hmm. I, but, but all the initial mock-ups and the demo and even the original trailer that's out there is the one cello on the very front of the mix, very almost, almost overly self-consciously mm -hmm. because behind it are all these strings that are horribly mocked up, but no one ever flagged it because, the, and, and so you've, you've, uh, you've, you've pulled real, um, Mountains out of molehills uh, <laughs> over the course of, where stuff, you know, I was just astonished by what you were doing with essentially pre-recorded or sampled elements because of, because of that. So with that as a, as a pivot, if I may, mm -hmm. um, obviously your most um, sort of celebrated work uh, at, and, well, at this point it's hard to pick one to be, to be frank. Uh, oh, like, you're so sweet, like, well, it's just, it's just, uh, you'll make it up to me uh, at the bar. Um, 
like Gary, the, the body of work is pretty is pretty uh, spectacular at this point. But there's no question that the thing that that um, that may that that may sort of your reputation hang on for forever uh, and rightfully so, or or at least justifiably so, would be Dead Space. And so, why don't you? Because you 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 had you know you were doing film and TV kind of stuff in LA before mm-hmm. you ever really got into games, at least before that title exploded. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you give us the kind of capsule rundown of how you went from bright-eyed young Jason uh, to uh, to Dead Space Jason before we actually get into Dead Space? Um, well, I actually had done um, no horror games or any horror films or anything like that before Dead Space. But so, just walk me through a little bit about what your career was like before you before that game. Well, I went to USC, um, and they had he pointed some, at me because apparently, well, because I also went to USC. I own yeah. I own that now. Yeah. Uh, oh, there, there's no camera here. I can point anywhere I want, can't I? It's true. Yes, you can. You can. No one knows that you've just been flipping me off continuously <laughs> yeah. uh, and getting the double middle finger for about the last twenty minutes. Yeah, and you know how the the program is. They have some amazing composers sort of come through the doors, and sometimes it's just for an hour thing. Like Jerry Goldsmith came in, and other times yeah, composers awesome. will stick around and Christopher Young was one of the guys that stuck around the maestro of horror <clears throat> and I, I really loved this score to Hellraiser plus a bunch of the other stuff that he had done and I was the guy you know in undergrad that already read the entire theory book <laughs> yeah. and the music history book and was just like I was Hermione <laughs> yeah, in, in yeah. music school <laughs> um so when same hair and everything yeah yeah um when Chris came in I like gravitated to him like white on rice and was there all the time and well, he must have loved him you too. Cause... Out to his car and was asking him tons of stuff. And the first thing he gave me, like on the third week, maybe, was like, "This is everything you need to know about scoring music." And it was his personal copy of the Alien score, the Goldsmith, the Conductor score. Wow. Yeah. He's like, "I need Jason. It. Jason, I need it back I in twenty four hours." This. Yeah. So I, I was like, "I'll go to Kinko's right now, Mister Young." <laughs> and I, you know, went to Kinko's and copied. They didn't have PDFs back then. Yeah. But that was sort of the groundwork. Is it the whole score? Yeah, the whole score. How do you get that? I guess he got it from Jerry. <laughs> I say Jerry because he calls him Jerry because, you know, he said that's where he, because I kept, I was asking about Hellraiser. Yeah. And he was just like, here you go. Here's Hellraiser. Wow. It's alien. Yeah. I Jer- mean, Chris, Chris Young is, is one of the most giving of himself. This yes. is a guy who bought. He he was um, trying to help out young composers in town, mm-hmm. so he bought a house where composers can stay yeah. for the first six months. If they've moved to L.A. to try to make a career, he gives them a artificially depressed rent mm-hmm. house where he's just eating – he's just losing money all the time in order to give someone a place to get on their feet where they're paying like a couple hundred bucks a month or something yeah. like that in order to to survive. And he, and he just so amazing. constantly has this round round robin of young composers and, and it's one of those where I'm like – I really hope that he's got like a financial advisor or somebody who's making sure this is okay because he's so obscenely generous that that I worry he's going to eat himself out of house and home uh, for the sake of his giving nature. I didn't realize that with the alien score. That's such a that's such a cool and very typically Chris. Yes, of course. So that's the first thing I fell back on when I my agent at the time basically said EA is doing a new horror game. And um, oh, they, you keep you keep resisting my desire to learn about your life before 
this before Dead Space came along though, because oh. you did you were doing film, you did like library music, I think. Yeah, and you, lots you, of library. You had a music, whole lots kind of, of career. Commercials. Um, I, I ghost wrote for a couple of composers when I was in LA for the for the two years that I was there. Um, like some Jackie Chan movies and um, wow, a bunch of Activision commercials and Honda commercials and commercials for the army and. We recorded the Capitol Records with a live orchestra. Um, my the guy I worked for the with, army. Yeah, for the army. Wow. Yeah, the guy I worked for did the Intel logo. That was mm. his. You know, dun 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 dun. That's so his he, contribution he, to civilization. He wrote that. Yeah. Um, royalty free, of course. I was yeah. like, oh man, that's too bad. That's like Michael Levine as a violinist in L.A. who wrote the Kit Kat uh, oh. jingle, and he's like, you know, it's it's considered like. It's like debated about if it's the number one earworm of all time. And uh, Marty and, may debate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. It's true. Flintstones, vitamins. Uh, I, I, I always delight in people discovering that the Halo composer is also. And I love his Twitter. His Twitter uh, bio is like composer of Halo, Destiny and Flintstones, vitamins. Yeah. Um, At dinner last night, he said, I'm still getting money from Flintstones. I was like, and you should be. That's that's <laughs> wow. That wasn't royalty free no holy crap but halo probably was oh yeah um that's funny or tragic uh in any case circling back so you you were working with (laughs) intel composer uh man doing um army music at Capitol records at some point you made the decision to go back to raleigh i did i moved back to north carolina because i had some independent films at the time dawson's creek was being filmed in wilmington and as well as some other show and um there were some indie films up and coming, and uh, I just wasn't really feeling L.A. Very, very, very busy. I mean, like so busy, like getting up at three in the morning to go to the studio and work all day and going home at midnight and doing that seven days a week. But it just wasn't, um, um, well, musically fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And I kind of figured I'd rather go get a real job or work at the coffee shop I worked in before I went to college and do these indie films on the side and wow. enjoy writing music than being put through this like meat grinder of a system being at the bottom of the totem pole, you know, doing like reality TV. And I was fortunate though, because I was really busy, like two months into school, I started working for this guy and basically kind of stopped going to school. Not basically, I stopped going to school. I would show up for the recording sessions and get like daggers from all the other students because they knew I wasn't going to school because I was working. I remember we. I had a similar experience, yeah. and I didn't. I never realized we were so in parallel. We're always uh, in parallel. I man. know it's so. They don't. We're now. We're holding hands. Um, <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, I'm blushing, Jason. Um, <laughs> that, uh, but that's amazing. I mean, you know, that's that's it, for so many. That is basically the dream. But I think one of the things I'm always trying to tell students is is listen to your soul, mm-hmm. as it were. If you're not loving it. You have to make sure that this mental kind of intellectual commitment to the idea isn't overriding this voice in you saying, I'm not happy because there's no shame in saying, I, turns out I don't love this the way I thought I did. Mm-hmm. You know, just because I racked up a bunch of student debt and put all this time and energy into investing in it doesn't mean I have to do it. Um, and the self-awareness of like, you know what, I, I would rather do an indie film and work at a coffee shop and move back to Raleigh. That there's a self awareness. How old were you at the time? Uh, well, it was grad school age, so. 22, 23 yeah, or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. That that's a self awareness that not a lot of folks have because it's just so much about like you're just paying your dues. Just stick right. it out, you know. Be a I, man. I, like that I, kind I, of message where it's like. I told myself that for the the first summer I was out of school, 
I was like, I'm going to give it the summer and it can't be as because now school's over and I don't have to worry about all this pressure of feeling guilty and not going to class. And I called my folks and I was like, I don't know what to do because do I go to class to listen to this composer who's brilliant talk about when he worked on TV shows in the 80s that I love or do I finish my TV show that's due tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah. And my dad's like, well, why did you go to California? You want to write music, right? Go write music. Yeah. Um, and the, the director, Buddy Baker, of the program completely understood. He's like, you're fine. And he gave me the certificate, whatever graduate diploma thing at the end and wished me well. But after that summer, it was just it just got worse. Yeah, it was just and I'm a hard worker. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining that it was too busy or anything. It was just not no, it's the flavor, it's not fun. Yeah, like for my, sure. my heart wasn't in it. And um, it just wasn't the kind of thing uh, at the time, you know, you're broke in L.A. And just so I I moved back home and we literally moved in with my in-laws for the next six months. And (laughs) I literally worked at that same coffee shop and did these indie films and slowly but surely started doing some other local things for about five years, built up a local reputation for writing music for you know, industrial videos. I was going to say, what's the local market even like in Raleigh, North Carolina? Hey, I recorded and encoded the very first surround sound handbell DVD. (laughs) Okay. Noted. Uh, That is, that is new information. (laughs) Probably not in the Guinness Book of World Records, but they were, you're no Tommy Tallarico. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) definitely not. (laughs) um, That's, uh, that's, well, I mean, actually it's funny because especially these days with a lot of the film incentives, the funny thing is there probably is a lot of, uh, I mean, I don't know what North Carolina's is like, but there's a lot of states in that area that that pretty aggressively try to bring in production. Atlanta's huge right now. Yeah. So it's, it's in the neighborhood as it were. Um, But at some point in there, then you started getting plugged into games. I did. I kind of stumbled across my first one. I was doing newsletters, like these things called newsletters, where you would fold up paper and put a thing called a stamp on it and put it in the mail to people. I saw this at a museum once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like at the Guggenheim. Uh huh. I was sending out monthly newsletters to about 200 people. And half of it was just talking about music that I'd written locally, but the other half always talked about what I did in LA. And there seemed to be sort of this idea that I was somehow an L.A. composer that had moved to North Carolina, where I was actually just <laughs> a North Carolina composer who lived in L.A. for a few had years. Had a brief foray, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was just, I ended up hooking up with someone in town who knew I could do orchestra stuff, and they did like non-orchestra stuff. And I helped them out a little bit, and then kind of stumbled across a game that was just a matter of knowing someone who knew someone in Australia, which is literally the opposite side of the world. And they were doing a game called King Arthur based on the movie King Arthur that came out in 2003 Mm. or something like that. And literally they said, oh, yeah, we need music. Maybe we should do something about that. You know, the the game, you know, film-based tie-in games. Ah, yeah. Licensed titles are are, are a a notorious sort of drudgery. Especially back then. It was basically like, what can we grab from the film and make the gameplay? And we have to have it out before the movie comes out. Yeah, I think the Walking Dead game in 2012 was like the first licensed title that people were like, this is just earnestly a good yeah, game. It's actually it actually stands on its own. Yeah. And it, cause, and there've been a few, but, but yeah, it's just the constant. Cause it's like, no one cares. They're just cynically like fans of the movie might give us a few extra dollars. Right. So there's no incentive to make a good game. I didn't even know that existed, that uh, yeah, King Arthur game. Like, but it's a lot. You recorded orchestra? No, no, it was all samples. Um, but, but I went, so my experience in LA was this, we'd work on, like the Intel Pentium 3 was what I was doing at the time with my boss. So we would do like 
50 or 60 variations of that each day and play it to Sony. And it was literally just a spreadsheet. Like, well, which one? Okay, combine this one with that one. Or we'd be doing like a Honda commercial, not having the job yet because it's all on spec, right? Mm. Version after version after version of a 30-second spot over like three or four weeks. And working really hard at doing that. And you just, you kind of lose, your heart's not in it anymore. So that's that's basically why I ended up leaving. Advertising is brutal. Well, with the game, I had... Uh, I think it was only maybe 40 minutes of music and I had like four weeks to do it. So I, I did 10 minutes of orchestra music a week and the only feedback I ever got was that's great. When are you sending the next cue? <laughs> and it was sort of that like felt very different an epiphany. It was yeah. like, this is creative. This is creatively fulfilling. You know, I feel like I'm um, contributing something meaningful, even if it is a silly game. And they, they actually appreciate the work. Yeah. Yeah, like they're excited to work with you, and you're not just this necessary evil that they yep. have to grudgingly accept. So that was basically me redirecting my sights from kind of local, um, you know, insurance things or political ads or whatever. To I want to do more games. I want to do more of that. I want that experience again because those people were super cool. Even though I never talked to them, we only emailed, but they were <laughs> wow. super cool, super supportive. I had so much fun working on. It. I learned so much. You know, orchestration and MIDI. I'd been doing tons of stuff on my own anyway. So I was ready to go yeah. when the call came, but it was an eye opener for sure. It's funny how parallel that is with the story Gary told yesterday about how the idea of, you know, being ready when the moment comes yeah. because he had done, you know, they, they wanted very specifically Bernard Herman esque stuff for Destroy All Humans. Mm-hmm. And he had done that on a game in like 1993. It's a very novel sort of. CD-ROM game that they had recorded live orchestra and, and he tells the story of um, they asked him to write a demo and he refused because he said I have music that's already produced that's exactly your direction if I give you samples on some new demo it's just going to be a downgrade of this thing I already have and he said no and he got the job mm-hmm. and then that eventually led to Bioshock um, and it's the same it's the same seemingly the same story here of like you you had a whole career of doing stuff that wasn't necessarily your jam that prepared you for when that moment came and then you were and then you were primed and ready to strike um and in the headspace also needed to to um to kind of fully engage it represented an escape because gary said a similar thing he said bioshock particularly was the first time he felt like a real composer Mm -hmm. because it was like please be an artist give us real music And, and there's there seems to be a bit of a theme of that of people especially coming from advertising yeah um i guess we all don't have flintstone vitamin right situations <laughs> um so then obviously you started doing more and more games mm-hmm. um so this eventually leads to dead space mm-hmm. what year was like 2008 or something like that uh, i think 2006, 2006 was when they were actually doing the pitch um and i'd done a bunch of world war ii games and stuff like that uh, but all midi nothing live they had no budget lots of stuff for ubisoft but like the Excel sheet kind of way of working. Combat yeah. 1 through 10, Explorer 1 through 10. Right. Five pieces of some art that I could print and put around my screen. And just For a long time, that seemed to be inspired. the norm. Yeah. yeah that was just... pretty much the way it was done. Um, with Dead Space, they, had, they referenced the exorcism of Emily Rose. Christopher Young again. And I was like, I could do something like that. Not right now because no samples exist mm-hmm. that you can do something like that with. But I have something I did when I was in school that was actually a cue I wrote under Chris <laughs> that I could present as sort of an idea. 
And, um, and I put together like one other example doing silly MIDI, you know, writing little clusters and things like that with the computer. And um, they had tried to hire Chris, but he wasn't interested. Really? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. Imagine that. And they, what a different world we'd be living in. I know, right? Um, and somebody else, basically, they kind of, once they got to my agent, they had exhausted all avenues of opportunity. So available and cheap is the MO uh, <laughs> to take away from this story. And um, apparently had heard other composers' things as well before they got to the submission that I sent. And the audio director literally called like when he heard it and said, this is exactly what we're looking for. When can you start? Like no one else has submitted anything like this. I don't think they get it. I don't know what the deal is, but this is what we need. Well, I'll tell you from my perspective, I'll never forget because we didn't know each other and I had, I had not heard of you prior to that game. Yeah, of course. Um, and I remember the game comes out and starts making all these waves mm -hmm. and I see an interview, you know, Jason Graves talks about the music of Dead Space. And I'm always curious about what yeah. friends or colleagues or, or future colleagues or future friends uh, are um, are up to. And I'm just a general soundtrack nerd. And I read the interview. And here's the thing. I, I have a low tolerance for composer grandstanding. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that, you know, it's like if someone gets a, 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 a daytime Emmy nomination for best sound effect, their bio instantly says Emmy nominated composer. You know, there's a, there's a certain amount of like... I won the I won the film festival award at the Sioux City Iowa <laughs> like short animal themed film festival so I'm an award winning composer like there's a certain amount of and I get it because everyone wants to to to, to look you know there it's there's it's Rise peacocking basically norm. you know yeah, everyone's yeah, yeah. trying to trying to do their best and I I sympathize with that but I still have a kind of aversion so I remember I read this interview where you're like yeah, we did these recordings. I'm reading you my perception of, of your voice. You're it. like, so yeah, we're doing these recordings. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's just like the samples aren't sophisticated enough to capture my genius. Uh, and so I told them we have to record. You just have to accept the recordings after I make them because I'm going to have to go and and no library could capture what the, I'm trying the, the to do the bountiful plenty yeah. of my the, 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 inspirational genius, the forward-thinking musical mind that is Jason <laughs> Graves. So I'm reading it, and I'm like, "Who the fuck does this guy think he is?" Uh, and then I went and listened to like one second of Dead Space, and I went, "There's no fucking way you could mock this up." Uh, I was immediately, instantly converted, and just thought, "This guy, he, if anything, he soft sold it. This, this is the real deal." hyper aggressive this is someone who knows how to write this way too because uh -huh. it's not it's not you don't you don't go to the hollywood bowl and right. uh kick back with a glass of wine and listen to this kind of stuff i Thank mean God, th this no. is reach into your soul level like like john i remember once reading a, a, a description of john corleano's altered state that said something like rarely if ever has more terrifying music been put to film and i had mm -hmm. the same reaction i was like we'll see and then five seconds later of listening yeah. to that it's like I'm breathing just mist coming out of my mouth as the room is suddenly weirdly cold and yeah, I'm like like fetal on the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was the same reaction. It was really <laughs> it was a really, really impressive. So explain to us what you did there because um I mean there's really no score even since then, I feel like, that has achieved that level of just visceral mayhem. Visceral mayhem is a good a good catch. It's your band name that no That's one would join you. A great metal band I had in the sixties, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, it was interesting. So actually, there was about 15 minutes of music I wrote for Dead Space that wasn't included because uh, they had a slightly different pitch where it was more like um, 
a Will Smith sci-fi movie. So it's got a little bit of dissonance in it. Okay. But it's supposed to be a little more heroic. So it sort right. of had that pointy kind of... Just the occasional Octatonic thing. Yeah. And very bouncy and odd meters, but a little more empowering. And that's kind of the direction they said they wanted to go. And I was like, well, that's not the music that I sent. And he's like, well, we're trying something. This was a team of, I mean, I think 30 people worked on it for a year and a half all by themselves. Wow. And then I was brought in. And then we worked on it for about another year and a half. And then they went large after the first major vertical slice and kind of, you know, mm. imitated the style that we came up with. But it was a year and a half of experiments. Um, so they we did that. And then the, he came back about two months later. and He's like, OK, change of plans. We just need you to write the scariest music that's ever been written in the history of music. Like, <laughs> we, we don't want to empower the player. We want to terrify them all the time and convince them they're going to die at any second. And I was like, well, I can do that. A serious crowd pleaser. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like everyone's greatest hits, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I did my, my undergrad before I went to USC. My professor was very, very 20th century. So he was very much all about like John Cage and 12-tone. Stockhausen. And, and Oh, yeah. All of that. Like the more out there and non-melodic, the more he liked it. The stuff that <clears throat> is the reason why as a civilization, no one likes classical music anymore. Pretty much. Yeah, the the yeah. thing that chased millions of people away from concert halls. I mean, I, I think there's a place for it, but, you know, I'm... Namely, games like Dead Space. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a huge, a huge advocate of, you know, I don't want to be commissioned to write that kind of music for a living. It's not really a passion-driven Ironically, kind you of basically genre. were for 10 years. Yes, I was. <clears throat> Still bear the scars. I mean, it was really... And so you, you, you if I remember correctly, you basically hand-wrote out just piles and piles of these phrases and gestures and and monstrous things and then recorded it with no mock-ups right uh, yeah kind um, of built a custom library that had no precedent they wanted to do four completely independent stereo streams of music that played simultaneously which had never been done before they had their own custom audio engine and then they had stingers that could fly in on top of those four and they wanted it to be completely well they didn't he didn't say orchestra he didn't say death metal. He didn't say found sound. He just said the scariest music ever. Well, I just I just fell back to like The Shining. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's one of the most terrifying films because of Penderecki's stuff. Yeah. And Ligeti. Yeah, exactly. And I had like six months where um, uh, the Chapel Hill Music Library is actually a really, really UNC Chapel Hill has an amazing music library. I spent days there photocopying like Ligeti and Penderecki and a couple of others, but I really gravitated towards the Penderecki. And I started seeing things that Goldsmith had obviously lifted oh, in yeah. a very good way for Alien or for Planet of the Apes or that Williams had used in Close Encounters, like Barry's kidnapping and cues like that. So I could see the original because Penderecki is the original. Yeah, he, he wrote Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima, like still in school and won like the National Polish Composition Award that year. You know, that piece very famously... You know, it has these clusters where it's like 50 strings all playing different notes, right? And it's mm -hmm. this violent, violent dissonance. And the, he notated it in this way that was pretty innovative at the time of just putting a big black box. Yeah, he invented and, all these graphics. Yeah. And I once read an interview where they said, how'd you come up with this idea of, of like just this graphical sort of notation? He said, well, I was in a coffee shop and I just didn't have room in my space to kind of spread out. So instead of writing out, because like Ligeti was the opposite, it was, it's like, 10,000 part divisi. Yep. Every individual single, stave for each yeah, instrument. Every yeah. member of the orchestra has their own part that's different from everybody else. 
And Ligeti was like, I mean, Penderecki just sort of like was putting a, essentially a sharpie yep. across the music and just saying, play any note within this. Wiggle, 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 line, straight line, yeah. dotted dots. Yeah. And how effective. Um, so yeah, that was your, that was the education sort of ramp up to it. In other uh, words. Yeah. I, I, the, the audio director had been with EA for 18 years. He'd done all the Lord of the Rings games oh, and stuff. Wow. So he had a lot of clout. And apparently I found out after the fact that some of the executive producers were actually pushing for like a heavy metal, dark, like grungy. Mick Gordon. Kind of Ahead vibe. of the curve. Yeah. 20 years earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, but he shielded me from all that and he let me do whatever I thought was responsible. That's a really good audio director. Yeah. He, well, and if, you know, you don't get that a lot nowadays because a lot of the audio directors are younger and a little more green. And there's, I think, an innate fear of being responsible for like messing something up if yeah. you try something different. Um, but, but Don Vecca had been around forever and I told him that I could do everything he needed, but that there was no way to do it with samples. You had to record it live. I couldn't do any mock-ups and I couldn't even like, if he came to the session, he'd just be listening to violins, making funny sounds for three days. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be a piece of music. And I said this, thinking, you know, we're going to take your $50,000 budget and spend every dime before you hear a note of music. And there's no way of getting that back. So there's no way you're going to agree to this. And he just shrugged and said, great, let's do that. So they, you convinced them they did not fire you or reject this idea. Right. You convinced them that this was a good idea. Did they actually come to the sessions and sit there with bemused looks on their face? Or did you just show up like Um, a knight in armor with a pile no. of crazy he was recordings. he was there yeah he showed up at the session but you know was the, this a skywalker or is yeah, this a net yeah skywalker okay. um the phrase enough rope to hang yourself was pretty much <laughs> banging around in my head the entire time and i kept calling him saying i've got this great idea and he go that sounds really cool and like the second time he literally said dude whatever you do is going to be great i trust you I, you don't need to keep running this by me i'll see you at the session i was like that does not make me feel any better <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic and really, the it was all like not even gestures or anything. It was very like let's record all the violins uh, playing their highest note possible as quiet as they can for twenty seconds. Now let's get them to play it again as loud as they can for twenty seconds. Now let's get them to repeat these notes randomly as fast as possible for twenty seconds quiet, and now for twenty seconds loud. Literally building a library of sounds that I came home with forty-five minutes of material every hour because there were no wrong notes. Yeah. Right. So I had like hours, I mean like 10 or 12 hours of material. And then the rest of my life for Dead Space One consisted of building a contact instrument in the morning in panic stricken fear of not being able to live up to this $50,000 budget they had spent. And then in the afternoon, writing a piece of music with that new sound that I had built in contact and then delivering it. Well, it, 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 it paid off in droves. I mean, it was, it was, like I said, the first time I heard it, I just was blown away. I'd never heard a score of that sophistication mm-hmm. in, um, and, 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 and just sheer violence. I mean, it was just so incredibly terrifying and people talk about it still. Like they play the game yeah. and usually it's melodic, tuneful kind of things where people after the fact remember mm-hmm. me. like they talk final fantasy always you know sure. like oh the first time you see sephiroth i'll never forget that melody and you, that's a very common sentiment or mario you know the, mm-hmm. these staples zelda etc um a mutual friend of ours grant kirkhope has like 30 years of sycophantic mm-hmm. acolyte fans built on the yeah. piles of amazing tunes he's written um 
And yet Dead Space was that anomalous outlier where it was like, oh, I really remember the music and I'm, it took 10 years off my life. Like I'm not a, <laughs> Me not too. A, I'm not a better person. Uh, and yet it's so effective. Um, and so that really, that set the tone. You won all the things, you won all the yeah, which was BAFTAs such a, such a and gang awards and and it wasn't, um, wasn't expecting a thing, honestly, because it was so visceral and non-music and over, non-musical and over the top. It's like, no one's going to want to listen to this. Actually, well, that, here's where I'll disagree with you. It's extremely musical. It's just not a musical vocabulary so, that we pleasingly listen so. to. Yeah, yeah but yeah. like, that's the thing. That's why I, it's not a wall of sound. That's, I think, why, as I maybe analyze my own reaction back then, it wasn't, it felt like a composer wrote this. It wasn't just sound effects libraries of gestures that are being stitched together like right, Lego right, blocks. Right, right, right. Because there's a big difference between those. Because any sound designer can take shrieking violin yeah. sound 1x3-4 mm-hmm. and just put it on a timeline in Pro Tools and play it back and say like, yeah, here's my piece. Mm-hmm. But that's not at all what this is. I mean, it's real. Plus, I guess they also were able to be very dynamic in game with how granular these... Yes. Parts work because I remember that also about the games. The music was super reactive and, and constantly playing all the time. Half the time it sounded like room tone. I think my the favorite technique I did. I had all the strings in the room at once. The instruction was just like pick a random note, and like half the violas put up their hands. I'm like, no, any note. It doesn't matter. <laughs> really, just pick any note. <laughs> I need instruction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They like yearn for the shepherd, and um, and so I had sixty. Good thing 60, the animal man. Is yeah, exactly. Like them. sixty or sixty-five string players. I got this like sixty-five note jazz chord. Oh, that's great. And it you know play it quietly. Okay, play that same note, and I play it really loud. And I did like six or seven takes of that, and that's half the ambience. Isn't it a space. funny curve? How if you have like a four-note chord, and they're kind of. St- oddly chosen or randomly chosen notes it's really dissonant and then as you add more and more and more and more it just starts to become beautiful jazz mm-hmm. at yeah. some point it's an odd sort of it's like this reverse uncanny valley of music um that's awesome i didn't i didn't even know that part of it so because we're <laughs> short on time um there's so many others obviously you worked on two dead space sequels after that right um uh um the tomb raider uh, reboot mm-hmm. uh, a couple years ago was, uh, and it's actually to this day one of my favorite themes uh, of yours. It was oh, one of those sweet. that it was one of those like that was one of those where if I'm demoing solo horn samples, <laughs> I like to play that melody uh, because it's just this perfect kind of regal long phrases, but but leaps Some that nice require, leaps. Yeah, 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 like it's a good one. Um, <laughs> uh, but you did you did something uh, for that that is one of those things I really really love, which is. I'm a, I have a great uh, passion for when um, someone is a sort of a professional and a craftsman and an artist, but they're not afraid to be a showman. And for Tomb Raider, you had this instrument built right. that was like a custom piece of sculpture. Yeah. Um, and, and the first time I saw photos of you, kind of like, it was like a road show of like, <laughs> yeah. I want to show you about the instrument. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, because that was just to me. That was like this is a composer who's more than just delivering on the job. They're they're elevating the score by giving. They're elevating the whole medium of game music because they're giving something that the public can look at and go, "I'm I'm not going to forget that." Like, right. how do I forget this giant weird metal c- creature? Mm-hmm. So tell us about the instrument. Well, I was literally in my backyard, kind of scavenging around trying to find like weird things to play to sort of augment the music for the bad guys on that reboot of Tomb Raider. 
and um, thought, I need to go to like a junkyard or something. But you can't take anything from junkyards, at least in North Carolina. So, Like by law? Yeah. You can only drop it off. So where, is there a metal shop <laughs> or something? going late at night. Yeah. <laughs> With the barbed wire and the German shepherds and everything. Then I would really feel like. But you're I'm like the, the animal whisperer. Game. I'm sure they would just stop, like <laughs> like uh, Ace Ventura, and just yeah. <laughs> kneel at your feet, you know. So, uh, so I called the um, this metal guy and just wanted to know if I could come by and look for stuff. And to we're be clear, we're not phone. talking about a metal no, guy in the no. traditional musical a metal sense. smith. Yes, like a, a welder guy. And um, he starts telling me where he is, and I'm sitting in my bedroom, like pacing back and forth as I'm talking to him. And he explains to me where he is, and I'm like, like, the second door on the left? He goes, yeah. I said, is it red? He goes, yeah. I said, I'm staring at your door right now. The call is coming from inside yeah. the house. He, he's like, well, what are you talking about? And it was literally just six houses down the street from me wow. where there was a little industrial ah, area. Ah, to live in Raleigh. And he was um, super cool. We talked like an hour before that. So at first, I was just getting some things. And then I asked if I could have some money from Crystal for him to just like put a couple of things, like to cut some things and put some things together. And they sort of, Alex Wilmer, uh, who I was working with for the music, one up to me and was like, well, can we give him some money? Like, would you want to do something bigger? I was like, I'd want to do as much as we could do. <laughs> so then it kind of became, well, let's use like some glass sounds and some metal sounds. I need to be able to bow some things. I want to be able to hit some things. And we just worked together over the course of about a year, developing different sounds. And Matt McConnell is his name. Got to see the game, and we worked out, you know, what sounded good and what sounded bad. And I let him design everything, but he designed the look of it based on the game. There's a lot of wreckage and old things on this. It's island. It's a lot of angular and, kind of yeah, spikes, rusted and stuff. metal, and stuff like that. So the game, um, the first chapter of the game is all just the instrument playing these sounds. And then all the UI in the game, I could take it in pieces to my house in the studio and set it up. So glass bowls and bowing metal, all the UI is from that as well. I didn't know that. The sound effects people jumped on board. Yes. And now the instrument itself, the one that I used, is in Crystal's lobby. Yeah, that's Along what with I the heard. bow that he made and everything. <laughs> so you can go up and literally I've heard that they'll like walk up and go ding and they're like, ooh, achievement unlocked. Because it's literally that bell sound, you know, that that particular pitch. And I think they they brought it back too. They used it a lot in the third Tomb Raider. Um, oh, I didn't since realize. The, since the reboot, yeah. Wow. They'd been sitting in their lobby for a while and I think they were sort of like, maybe we should use this some more. Well, yeah, they should. I mean, you crafted between that and the theme. It's like you built a foundation for the whole, I mean, the franchise could go for 20 years and regardless of who's scoring it, they, they would be right to draw from that basis. Because it really felt earnestly like, yeah, this vision of Lara Croft is that. Mm -hmm. It felt like such a match. It was really, really good. Um, it's mm -hmm. one of those exciting moments from, a, from an outside perspective of saying, ah, just, just when I think I've got somebody figured out <laughs> uh, in that very Goldsmithian tradition, managed to do something that really surprised me. Uh, it was really, really cool. Um, yeah, and then you brought it to LA and did like a pub, like a like a like an event. You, I remember seeing photos. It was yeah. like a BAFTA, BAFTA LA like concert slash presentation or something where there's photos of you on stage with the instrument. And yeah, I was it like, was, see, that's like the PT Barnum. It was super cool. Yeah, it was. It was. And even the guys, the uh, the audio director and uh, the music director, both flew out when we were doing some interviews and you know video shoots uh, for the making of the game. And I got to see, they, no one knew what it looked like. They'd only heard it. And, oh, that's um, cool. 
and Matt killed himself for like the last 48 hours getting it put together for like presentation mode because he knew it was going to be like pictures that would live in infamy. Mm. So I got to walk in How with them. How do you even them. ship it? Oh, it was like on a giant freight truck and yeah. he had it in a box the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. I'm not kidding. I don't. Like, yeah. As a, I, yeah, exactly. It's a, not a small undertaking. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like 12 feet tall or something. Yeah, it's, it's bigger than a refrigerator. Yeah. Like a large refrigerator. But I got to see their faces when they actually saw what it looked like for the first time. They were just like eyes wide and <laughs> walking over and, you know, I, all the mallets that I use and everything in there and they're banging on it, like hearing all these sounds that they've been hearing them for a year now. So it was very much like a full circle. It's the uh, thing. it's the instrument equivalent of going, "Wow, you're way more handsome in person." Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I would never have guessed. What a pleasant surprise! Yeah. Well, we, I, you know, we have this uh, tendency to be able to go for hours and hours and hours, and because I would, there's so many other scores I would want to uh, dive into. Um, but it's GDC. The clock, uh, the bell tolls for both of us. The show must go on. Uh, yes, exactly. So. Um, is there anything you want to plug uh, and also um, social media and things for people to be able to find you and stalk you and um, witness our, our, our public uh, <laughs> squabbles? Yeah, JG Music is my Twitter handle. Super easy. And um, I've been doing a YouTube channel now for, you know. Yeah, uh, especially for composers uh, yes. that, that catch this podcast. Your, your channel is actually really thorough of oh, like composer you. techniques. and yeah. That's a new. That's a new venture for you. That seems actually like a lot of work. It it on the technical side, it's work. But and actually filming it um, now that I'm used to staring at a camera and not to like the loving eyes of Austin Wintry. Um, it's okay. I'm, I'll film also. Uh, well, so I thought about putting a picture of your face up on the camera so that I'd feel <laughs> a little more at home. Yeah, but then good. it just seemed a little weird when I wasn't filming. I mean, for what it's worth, all you had to do was take the photo already there and just slide it to the left so it was right above the camera. <laughs> right. Oh, well, uh, that's true. Take it out of the gilded gold frame yeah, and just exactly. kind of paste it over What I want monitor. is to send you a photo of me that you can put right behind the your BAFTA awards so that you can see me through the carved <laughs> the, 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 out the eye, one eye Yeah, that yes. would be perfect. <laughs> that's, my, that's my new ambition. I'm going to sneak into your house at night and make that a reality. That so just perfect. forewarn. <laughs> So JG Music, your YouTube channel, what's it called? Uh, Audio Arc. Audio Arc. Audio Arc. Um, yes, with your thumbnails of a um, different animal of yours. Different animal. And I try to group the animals like I group the the segments. I like the idea of, you know, em empowering and uplifting, um, especially younger composers who were, you know, going through the, the throes and agony of growing pains, like back when I was in my 20s and 30s. Just to, you know, if I can help out a little bit, then great. Well, I think it probably does. Um, well, with that, I will say thank you. We can stop holding hands. All right. And uh, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. I've been Austin Wintry. This is the Game Maker's Notebook. If you like what you heard, uh, please feel free to leave a positive review. You know, like, subscribe, drop us a line, give us your thoughts. If you hated it, we actually want to hear from you even more. You can give us feedback uh, on how to make it better. Uh, you can recommend to Dice that I never be allowed to host this again, that kind of thing. Either way, your comments are welcome, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for the Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.